This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today on the 128th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. Again, Paul Schneiderman, 128th edition of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. My special guest today is Jason Fiorito. Jason is the president of Pacific Raceways, a legendary uh, motorsport, um, I guess we can call it stadium in, in Kent, Washington. Uh, Jason, I'll get back to you in a minute. My uh, new assistant and producer is Olivia Coyne. Go back to Olivia's family a long time, and Olivia's uh, been helping me with this podcast. I'll probably give her a little bit, little bit of law firm work as well. I, uh, many of you know I also work as a solo attorney, and this uh, podcast has been a fun um, startup hobby, we can call it. Uh, my podcast is also on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google iTunes, Podbeam. You can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net. You can also see some interviews on my law firm website, ploslawoffices.com. I encourage my listeners to click the like button regarding my show, comment, and uh, you can watch my show and, and hear my show on some of the set outlets. Well, Jason, I promised I would get back to you. I am right now. Um, as mentioned, Jason Fiorito is the president of Pacific Raceways based in Kent. He's involved in all aspects of the raceway, financing, government relations, strategic planning, promotion. Uh, today, we're going to learn more about Jason and his and his uh, company. We're going to learn more about motorsports. We're going to learn more about auto racing and motorsports in Pacific Northwest. Should be a very fun and informative conversation. This is my first ever interview uh, where we've discussed uh, the subject of motorsports and auto racing. So I've been really looking forward to this. Uh, Jason, thank you for coming on the 128th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. You bet, Paul. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're going to just going to have a, all sorts of questions. We got a couple of good questions from the audience. Um, and I'm going to start with my first question right here. Why don't you tell us more about the history of Pacific Raceways and your family's history with the track? And I guess it's a track, not a stadium. Um, and why don't you tell us about some of the famous uh, race car drivers who've raced at, at Pacific Raceways? Yeah, you bet, Paul. Uh, actually, the the track was the brainchild of <clears throat> an old, I believe, Northwest pilot named Ren Jones. Uh, he kind of put together a group back in the mid '50s uh, with an eye on promoting a world class motorsports facility in the Pacific Northwest. And as many people back in the day found, it's much more expensive to build a track than originally anticipated. So uh, my grandfather, the second generation of an Italian construction family, Dan Fiorito, participated in the orig original grading and paving of the track for stock in the company. And back then, there were a number of different investors, the electric company, the uh, some of the plumbers, uh, some of the site work guys, all performed work for free essentially and and became part of the ownership group of Pacific Raceways that opened for business July 4th 1960 with a drag race at the at the time it was a drag strip and a road course drag strip being a quarter mile long straight stretch of pavement on which the burgeoning young National Hot Rod Association NHRA raced and dick calavota uh some of the folks that uh know pacific northwest racing history dick calavota won the race in on july 4th independence day 1960 to open pacific raceways and then 
through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, we hosted not only professional drag racing, but also professional road racing under banners like USAC, uh, USRRC, Trans Am. Uh, so the notable drivers over that history, uh, Phil Donahue, uh, Dan Gurney, Mario Andretti, Al Unser, uh, even Dale Earnhardt Sr. won the last NASCAR event uh, under the Winston West banner back in 1984, at which uh, the subsequent year, I believe it was 85, uh, Kyle and Richard Petty uh, competed. So we've had uh, Mario Andretti won uh, the same year he won the Indianapolis 500. Even folks that watch uh, Ford versus Ferrari, Ken Miles uh, raced here with Carol Shelby. Uh, there's been every big name in in road racing and then drag racing side, uh, you know, Shirley, Muldowney, who uh, would love for people not to call her Cha-Cha anymore, but surely Cha-Cha Muldowney, uh, and I'd get in trouble for using her nickname if she heard this podcast, but uh, the Snake and the Mongoose and Kenny Bernstein and John Force and, uh, you know, all the big names of, of drag racing competed here. So we have continued the tradition of professional drag racing here. We we lost in the late 80s and early 90s professional road course sanctioning, and we're working diligently to get that back. So we hope over the next year or two to regain professional road course sanctioning and emerge back on the scene as a premier road racing facility to join the professional drag race sanctioning uh, by maybe end of next year or so well what a great history that your grandfather established uh just amazing and you're and i don't know a lot about motorsports but you mentioned some names that to me are like the babe ruth and michael jordans of, of motorsports those are really some big names the andretti's and the unsers and Earnhardt. so so anyhow it's pretty exciting you've had or neat history you've had some of those uh famous um uh, motorsports um people at, at your track so that's neat um, how many spectators does the track accommodate? And is it one of the biggest tracks in the Pacific Northwest? It is. We're actually with, uh, our standing room, the, well, I believe the fifth largest spectator venue in the state. We have 22,500 permanent seats and then standing room for kind of unlimited number of folks. Uh, you know, back in the Trans Am days, there were 30, 40,000 spectators uh, watching road course events, and we can have upwards of 30,000 people watching a NHRA professional drag race these days. Uh, we have plans that uh, could accommodate up to 100,000 fans on the property if we're able to regain our professional sanctioning on the road course, build grandstands on the hillside that are you know, elevation change on road courses, Paul, is really attractive because road courses, generally speaking, don't provide a great viewing experience for a spectator. You see a very limited amount of the track. With our elevation change and our hillside, it gives the ability for spectators to see much more of the course than traditional road courses. So, uh, we could accommodate anywhere between thirty and fifty thousand fans right now with our permanent seating and and hillside capacity, but the proposed capacity is much larger than that. 
Jason, that's a great factoid you threw out that your Pacific Race Raceways course is the fifth largest venue in the state of Washington. That that's a cool little fact, and you want to make it bigger. So that's neat. That's neat. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the big events that go on at Pacific Raceways, and why don't you share with us some some other stuff that goes on at Pacific Raceways that people may not be as familiar with. You bet, Paul. We uh, are busy all year long. So, uh, you know, even in the rainy months, we host a lot of the law enforcement training regionally. King County Sheriff's Department trains out here, I believe, 80 days a year. And then we play host to uh, about 20 other law enforcement agencies. So we train a lot of our police officers in their PIT and EVOC uh, programs uh, don't ask me what the acronyms stand for. I just know, you know, on my lease agreements, what we provide a facility for, but they learn a number of different skills out here. And that takes up a lot of our kind of off racing hours uh, activities. And then on the club racing side, we're a, a road course, a drag strip, an outdoor karting facility and a motocross track. So on any given days, we'll have two to three activities simultaneously. The karting track will be hosting an event, PGP. The motocross track, uh, Moto Pacific, will be hosting an event. And then we on the drag race and road course side, because it shares real estate, will be hosting one of the two. So at any given point during a summer month, you could come out and and walk around the facility and, and see and participate in karting, uh, go-karts, motocross and either drag racing or road course racing. And then all the way up to this year, we're, I believe the 33rd or 34th consecutive year of the NHRA Pacific Northwest flavor pack Nationals. So that's the event at which 90,000 of my closest friends attend a three-day event that's broadcast on live Fox network TV. So 1.2 million people watch it on TV, upwards of 30,000 people a day will see it live. And uh, that's our marquee event. The largest road course event is uh, Sovereign Society of Vintage Racing Enthusiasts, 4th of July Historics, um, untold number of thousands of spectators and some of the, of the equipment that raced here over the years, uh, Can-Am cars, open wheel cars, and and vintage sports cars race here all weekend. That's happening uh, the weekend just before the 4th, I believe the 31st, 1st, and 2nd of uh, June and July, respectively. And then SCCA Majors, Sports Car Club of America, IRDC, which is conference, uh, both Club Road Racing Associations, WUMRA, Washington Motorcycle Road Racing Association, BMW Club, Porsche Club, Audi Club, and then the Performance Racing School, which is owned by Don and Donna Kitch. Don, I like to boast, wears a Rolex Daytona, and he did not purchase it. He won it by uh, winning a class at the 24-hour Daytona. So we have one of the most premier road racing and high performance driving schools in the country led by uh notable racing personality don kitsch jr well i can't get over all the activities that are going on at your at your uh, pacific raceways it, it's really 
um, incredible. And I, I well, let me ask you a couple more follow-up questions to what you just had to share. Why don't you share with the listeners what NHRA stands for? That is the National Hot Rod Association, uh, started out by Wally Parks uh, back in probably the 50s in California. And NHRA is the most premier drag racing association in the country, has produced the names like we talked about earlier, the uh, Mongoose uh, and, and the Snake. Uh, Kenny Bernstein, John Force, Shirley Muldowney, and now the Force Daughters. Uh, That event, Paul, if people haven't seen it, is almost indescribable. And TV coverage doesn't do it justice. When two top fuel cars stage on the starting line, there is 22,000 horsepower getting ready to take off. They, two of them leaving the line create a 2.0 earthquake when they leave, and they the cars reach their first 100 miles an hour in 0.8 this seconds. This is drag racing. This is drag racing. Wow. They, they accelerate from 0 to 100 in 0.8 seconds and take 60 feet to do it. So essentially, the length of most people's houses is what it takes to accelerate a top fuel dragster from zero to 100 miles an hour and then they reach 330 miles an hour in less than four seconds 3.7 3.8 3.9 seconds zero to 330 it's like a space launch practically i mean it's incredible it runs on rocket fuel it's it's uh interesting that you say a space launch because nitromethane is uh a listed rocket fuel it is it's two individuals now. A lot of gals are, uh, you know, in the seat, uh, almost as prolific as as gentlemen in the seat, and they take off with essentially strapped to a rocket, strapped to a bomb, and accelerate faster than an F eighteen being slingshot off an aircraft carrier. That's One incredible. Of the- I, I, I sort of threw out a a rocket launch kind of maybe a little flippantly, but I guess it, it kind of is. In a way. <laughs> it it kind of is. Yeah. And, incredible, incredible. and that is something that you can't experience via TV or radio. It, it, the, the amount of shutter and noise that two of them create when they leave the line is shocking and can only be described by somebody that's seen it in person. Well, I was telling our mutual friend, Dean Nielsen, today, I, I can't wait to get out and check out your track at some point. Um, actually, you, you mentioned the, the 4th of July activity. It's called the Sovereign, I believe, at your at your track. A friend of mine, Mark Plunkett, a, an attorney friend, he had a question about that. I think maybe you kind of answered it. He also wanted to know about, because Mark's an, an auto racing fan, um, he also had some questions about what kind of advertising and marketing are you looking at doing to try to boost attendance at your events? That was something Mark wanted me to ask you about. Yeah, you know, advertising and marketing has evolved over the last few years and has accelerated in social media and electronic platforms. Uh, historically, you know, everybody remembers the days of Bill Donor here in 64 Funny Cars, where you'd hear the Sunday, 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 we'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge sort of a radio marketing campaign. But most kids now, Paul, you know, don't listen to radio. They listen to podcasts. They listen to their playlists on their phones. So media 
mainstream media advertising is really waning in terms of print, uh, radio, and t- and TV. So many people scroll past because they've DVR'd their favorite shows, the advertisements. I'm guilty of it, as as most people are, of of recording my favorite events and just fast forwarding through the ads. A lot of people that are younger than I, I'm I'm starting to become the elder statesman and and racing it in my mid fifties. But you know, my kids don't listen to radio, they don't watch TV, they don't read newspapers. Everything comes over electronic, so it's social media. Uh, it's finding uh, contact lists. It's working with different groups that have access to our potential customers. And we do a lot more via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and uh, try to find ways of communicating directly with our customers versus the old school method of purchasing from the radios, TV, and, and print media spots that generally speaking less and less people are paying attention to good good feedback it's a whole different era i, I we see it in so many different uh, fields uh paul schneiderman of the sports untold podcast with uh jason fiorito we're having a great chat about uh auto racing and uh, jason's track pacific raceways um okay i got a question jason this is a little debate I think a lot of people have about some sports and games. It comes up in pool, for example. What is your response to people who question whether motor racing is a sport? Well, I race a stock car, Paul. So, uh, you know, at a very amateur level, I competed for the SCCA National Championships last year uh, in at Virginia International Raceway. So I have some experience. Uh, I played college football for University of Denver. I played uh, college rugby for University of Denver. I have raced mountain bikes, both uh, cross country and downhill. I have competed uh, in snow skiing, mountain biking, road biking, uh, and and I've also competed inside uh, a competitive race car. Now, a stock car like I race is very similar to what you'd watch on TV uh, as as a NASCAR. In fact, the chassis builder for my car, Tony Urey Jr., was Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s crew chief for a long time. So wow. I speak with some experience, physically and mentally. It is as hard being in that car as any sport I've ever played. I can lose wow. upward of seven pounds in just water weight. It's 130 wow. degrees inside the car. It is very physically demanding uh, in terms of the G-forces that you're enduring on acceleration, deceleration, and cornering. My arms feel like they're going to fall off after wrestling the steering wheel. And, and shifting and the amount of force it takes on the brake pedal. We don't have power brakes. They're, they're manual brakes. You don't want to rely on engine vacuum to produce braking power. So your braking power is in your leg and you push incredibly hard on the brake pedal numerous times during a lap. So I am, and then the laser focus it takes mentally to pay attention to driving on the edge in my races for 30 to 40 minutes in a professional car upwards of two or three hours uh i would argue with anybody 
being an athlete my whole life saying that being in a car is not a sport. It is incredibly physically and mentally demanding to maintain the training. Every athlete driver I know has a huge physical regiment. And I train, you know, in my home gym and up at Tiger Mountain four to five times a week. And I feel physically inadequate in the car during a 40 minute race. So absolutely it's a sport and absolutely drivers are athletes. Well, what a, what a great answer. Now I've always thought of it as a sport. So, but you do hear people question and you just gave a very compelling answer and there's so much coordination involved too, you know, and, and, in, in that type of racing. Wow. That's just, it's incredible. All the, some of the facts that you shared. Um, you mentioned Dale Earnhardt and for a lot of novices in motorsports like me, we, we, we remember Dale Earnhardt's tragic death. I think back in 2001, could you just comment in general, the safety of motorsports? Absolutely. And, and, you know, this is something we've discussed inside of my family because my stock car, Paul, out at Pacific Raceways, everybody says, well, how fast does your car go? Well, there's a lot of variables to it. The, the track, the length of the longest straightaway, the speed entering the longest straightaway. Down at Portland, my car is a 160 mile an hour car. At Pacific Raceways, in a pack of cars, it's a 175 mile an hour car. So, you put my car on a super speedway, it would exceed 200 miles an hour. It's it's about gearing, it's about uh, the track length and and the entrance speeds and and exit speeds and all the variables that go along with it. Um, but uh, Dale Earnhardt died at close to 200 miles an hour, and there are a lot of factors that went into his demise. Some of which are kind of publicly available, and some of which aren't. But uh, Dale was an old guy with a bad back and a seat that was not in a great position for a front impact. His, If you notice Dale's position, he was laid back quite a bit. And then there was a, a belt dumping scenario that when the belts go through an aluminum seat, there's a lot of knife edges there. And when your body pushes forward on those belts and they hit sharp edges, some of those belts can get cut. And so Dale had a lot of variables from which they learned uh, in seat position, in belt position, in Hans devices, in cage scenarios. And every time there's an accident, we learn something from it and we do things differently. So I argue inside my own family that I'm safer in the car going 180 miles an hour in a pack of cars than I am in my pickup truck getting to the track in the morning. And statistically speaking, that's true. But is racing an inherently safe sport at 180 miles an hour in a pack of cars going 180 miles an hour? Intuitively, we all know that it's not. But every year we learn things like seat position. If you look at a NASCAR seat right now, compared to what Dale was sitting in when he died, they're categorically different. They're full containment seats. They're upright. They have different belt configurations. They have mandatory Hans devices, which limit your neck movement. The cages have been uh, updated after every accident to accommodate for new forces that weren't anticipated. NASCAR, IndyCar, F1, I mean, when we saw Roman Grosjean go through the Armco barriers, uh, I think it was last year, 
if they hadn't added that halo to the F1 car, he would have been done as he went through the barriers. And because of that new halo that people argued about quite a bit with F1, he was safe after he got through the barrier. And then he burned for quite a few seconds before the response team got to him with just a couple of little blisters on his hands and, uh, you know, a little smoke inhalation. So we can endure a lot of impact and a lot of heat as drivers and walk away and spend the night with our families. It has evolved over time into being a manageable risk situation versus a, you know, back in the day, Ken Miles, Phil Hill, Graham Hill, they were all in cars that had a very decent chance of taking their life at the end of the race. And when we strap in, we have a better than average chance of going home and eating dinner with our families. What I'm sort of extrapolating from your answer to um, Jason is that since Earnhardt's passing about 2001, the last 20 plus years, there's been a lot of improvements. Every year there's improvements, Paul. And and like I said, if if you there's no way Dale Earnhardt's car today would pass tech inspection. There's no way. It, wow. it wouldn't be considered a safe seat, belt, and helmet head restraint system. None of that would pass current tech. It's evolved so dramatically in the last 20 years that that car would never pass tech. Fascinating. I, I did not know that. Absolutely fascinating. I, I hear that, and I don't know a lot about what's going on with, with Pacific Raceways in relationship with King County. Can you kind of tell us about what's going on? I guess there's some work that you're trying to do with the county on site redevelopment. You kind of mentioned, I think, a little bit earlier, but tell us about what kind of issues come up with your raceways in uh, King County. Well, it's not dissimilar to any other motorsport facility, some of which have survived urban sprawl. Others of us have gone down in flames because of urban sprawl. We were all out in the middle of nowhere back in the day, right? When my grandfather built this track, uh, Covington wasn't a city. Uh, Kent and Auburn were much smaller than they are today. Highway 18 was a two-lane road with stop signs and and uh, controlled crossings. And we were considered to be in a very rural area back then. Now we sit adjacent to the urban growth boundary line. We're still technically in a rural area, but there's nothing rural about Pacific Raceways, Highway 18 with a dedicated interchange and being adjacent to essentially Covington, Auburn, and Kent. Uh, and there are always pressure on facilities like mine, airports, gun ranges, and anything else that was out in the middle of nowhere when we were built and then experienced uh, housing developments and urban sprawl that butted up against our borders. So we've been in a balance. I've been here, Paul, now for 21 years, and we've gone through four sets of legislation with supermajority votes at the King County Council. Because there is a recognition, uh, Pete von Reichbauer, uh, Rod Dembowski, bipartisan support from the King County Council have been our champions. Dow Constantine been a champion of what's going on out here because of the economic and social benefits of racetracks. We say quietly, and, and I say that in quotations because it's a little bit of a pun, but we quietly are responsible for about $100 million of regional economic impact 
with wow. somewhere between 150 to 200 businesses that survive in whole or in part because we do what we do. And so uh, we believe that the impacts that we have on our neighbors, which sometimes are substantial, you don't launch two 11,000 horsepower cars in late July or early August without impacting your neighbors. But those impacts are mitigated by providing a safe alternative to kids racing on the streets, the social impacts of families being raised here generationally. I have a lot of my racers, Paul, that the grandkids that were four and five when I took over the track 20 years ago are now the fathers and mothers of kids that are racing in the junior drag racing program, the junior karting program. I see grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers and fathers and kids, three generations of folks out here constantly enjoying either participating in or spectating racing events. And that's a big deal. We're part of the fabric of South King County and we're part of Auburn, Kent, Federal Way and Covington's fabric. And we have a huge impact on those cities and the rest of the community. So uh, we get recognition uh, for that by the elected officials, um, especially those with vision like Pete von Reichbauer, like Rod Dembowski, like Dow Constantine that stick their neck out for us every once in a while with some pressure from folks that move in from California and say, what the heck was that noise? We want that gone. Uh, and we say, well, be careful what you wish for. You might get it. And and those 150 businesses that survive because we're here will feel that impact as well. I know those three uh, King County elected officials you mentioned are all sports fans. I had Dow on my show a couple of years ago and uh, Rod and Pete are definitely sports fans too. Um, well, I thought some of the listeners would find that interesting, the some of the zoning issues you deal with and development issues and all that. Um, I I want to ask you about NAS, NASCAR. And you know, you hear that you hear that old term, maybe it's changed the last few years. I used to hear that term, the Rose Bulls, the granddaddy of them all with college bulls. Is is NASCAR the granddaddy of, of auto racing? In this country, I would say yes. I mean, now that we've segued into having uh, three F1 events, we have the Florida, the Vegas, and the Coda event. Uh, you know, Drive to Survive has created a huge buzz with F1 in this country that really wasn't uh, present before the Netflix series brought a lot of attention. And so F1 is having a huge impact on United States-based motor racing, but Certainly NASCAR is the granddaddy of all racing in the United States. We've had IndyCar, uh, CART, uh, Trans Am, like I said, the predecessors to those with USAC and USRRC, uh, ASA, IMSA is becoming huge under John Doonan's tutelage. The IMSA runs the Rolex 24-hour at Daytona and then runs at Sebring and is probably the premier sports car racing sanctioning body in the country. But certainly NASCAR, I think, holds the most notable and most impactful United States-based racing series uh, crown at this point, for sure, yes. I know there's been talk about it, Jason, over the years, the idea of NASCAR coming to the Northwest. I think Kitsap County has been mentioned as a prospective site. Uh, do you think NASCAR will come to the Northwest in your future? And would you like to host it at your track? 
Well, I mean, NASCAR events would be the brass ring for for any track uh, aside from F1, right? I mean, F1, I think, globally is known as the most premier racing series in the world. But any track would be lying if they said they wouldn't be proud and and desire, proud to have and desire to host a NASCAR event. A uh, lot of constituents, right? We are a very underserved racing market, Paul. We We sit in what would command the largest, the 20th largest GDP in the world in the Cascadia mega region, because we're not just the Seattle market. We are really Vancouver, BC to Portland here, the Cascadia market. We are the 12th largest TV market in the country and would host, would boast the 20th largest GDP in the world if we were our own country. So, uh, you know, there, I I don't want to, misrepresent anything and we're not perched to get a nascar event let me be clear like we're we're not you know um ready to to host a nascar event either physically uh nor are we in negotiations with nascar about a nascar event so i don't want to send the wrong message but would we enjoy a nascar event any track would be lying if they said they wouldn't be uh you know excited to have those talks and i hope that as we progress we just put a million dollars of improvements in the road course over last winter in terms of safety barriers we will continue with our commercial development the pacific motorsports park and pacific innovation center to improve the facility and we very much hope to be on the radar screen in the near future for series like nascar f1 imsa uh, or any other professional uh, road racing series, uh, uh, IndyCar, we want to be on the radar screen to help develop this market, a very underserved market for any range of professional sanctioning bodies that host televised events. Well, you brought up something about the Cascadia regions, about the 20th biggest economy in the world. I read something a couple of years ago. The state of Washington's economy is about the size of the nation of Belgium's economy. So there's all sorts of interesting facts about how big this general Northwest economy is. Um, Do you you have a a local track that is your main competitor? You know, I uh, maybe I look at this incorrectly, Paul, but I don't see tracks as competition. Uh, tracks are like restaurants. They have their personality. They have a menu and nobody wants to eat at the same restaurant over and over and over again. So there's a proposed track out on the peninsula, the circuit of the Northwest. There's an existing track down in Shelton. Uh, the Ridge Motorsports Complex. There's a track in Portland, Portland International Raceway. There's a track up in Mission, BC. There's, a, a, you know, tracks. And then on the drag strip side, we have tracks in Yakima, in Mission, in uh, Portland, uh, in Spokane, uh, another road course over in Spokane. So I look at tracks as evidence of a healthy motorsports community knowing that folks don't want to eat at the same restaurant every night. And we work collaboratively when COVID hit, we lobbied on behalf of all the tracks to get some reasonable rules associated with outdoor gathering so that we could all survive uh, economically the pandemic. And so 
Uh, I'm on the phone with other track operators all the time at, at the Ridge, uh, at uh, Spokane. Uh, we even made a bid back in the day before the tribe bought Spokane as a road course drag strip and oval to take over management of that. And so, you know, competitor, no, I don't see it. Uh, synergistically, we coexist with a lot of regional tracks, all of which rely on a healthy motorsports industry. Love your restaurant analogy. That's a good one. And uh, I like your point that you, you kind of see it as more of a collaboration than a competition. And so it uh, seems like you have good relations with the, some of the other local local tracks. Um, my understanding, again, correct me if I'm wrong, that auto racing is one sport where men and women compete together, correct? It, it is. And uh, it, it's... <laughs> It, it's entertaining for me because motorsports traditionally is a male-dominated sport. It just is. Um, however, uh, it's been my observation over the last 20 years, Paul, that women pick up the skill of driving faster than men. Men come into a driving school with an ego. And we all know how to drive, right, Paul? There's there's nobody that's going to tell. We've we've been in carts, we've been in cars, we have an ego, and we know what we're doing. And all of us can be Dale Earnhardt if we were just in the right scenario, right? Um, it's been my observation that women are more teachable when it comes to driving instruction. Uh, and in the amateur ranks, one of my main competition uh, is a gal named Ann Doherty. And she learned how to drive just a few years ago uh, competitively. And now she is my most fierce competitor. Uh, there was a race last year at Portland during which it was just a downpour. And Ann and I were the only people in our grid on the lead lap afterwards. And I was so happy to see the checkered flag because one more lap and and she was going to go by me and and win the race. So uh, because driving is not brute strength and not, uh, it, it's, it's a mental challenge. It's laser focus. It's very physical, but doesn't take just brute strength. Uh, folks like Lynn St. James, uh, historically that was the rookie of the year in two, uh, 1992, I believe at the Indy 500 forged the way for Annika Patrick's a big name. Annika Patrick yeah. is a big yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's some, a new breed of competitors coming up through the ranks that are going to put a lot of the men, uh, farther down the podium than the men would like to be but uh yeah it, it, it's a sport out during which men and women can men and women compete directly head to head and i love that battle of the gender for sure well and not to get into too many you know gender-based stereotypes but you know women have some some can be more coordinated than men. Like with all, there's all sorts of activities where, where I, I've noticed it. So it's interesting how you how you mentioned that with uh, some of their skill sets with auto racing. Well, I'm going to ask you a few more fun questions, Jason. I mean, there are 10 minutes or so if you're okay with it. Just have, there, there's, uh, I'm going to go through kind of a potpourri of, of questions here. Um, I want you to pick one. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who is your favorite auto racer in motorsports history? Dale Earnhardt, hands down. Uh, I, 
I went down to Phoenix one year with the sole purpose of meeting Dale. Uh, I knew he had raced here in the 80s. When I first started driving a stock car, I painted it black and I couldn't get the number three. So I picked the number 30. So I drove a black number 30 stock car on the road course, watching the in-car camera, Dale, watching him come up through the ranks. And he was just kind of a blue collar guy that made it big. And he's my racing hero. So Dale Earnhardt, hands down. Great, great answer. Okay, these are two questions I've asked about every guest the last couple of years. This is a sports-based show. And when you answer these questions, you can you can stay in motorsports or go outside of motorsports. Who is a living sports figure you would love to interview or have a conversation with? It can be a GM, player, manager, owner, whoever. Who's a deceased sports figure in history you would love to you would have loved to have spent time with? Oh God, a living sports legend. I think it'd have to be Marshawn Lynch. I lo I love the way he carried himself. I loved his nonchalance with stardom. Uh, I loved the fact that he looked like he was out there playing for himself and nobody else. And I just really respected his raw ability and then the total um shirking off of stardom and and i'd love to sit down and, and talk with marshawn i think about his experience in the national football league and and how he carried himself and why i uh deceased i'd have to go back to dale earnhardt you know that's the i would have loved to have sat down with him i went down to phoenix i broke into the pit area i was hanging out by his car with no credentials whatsoever and was kicked out about five minutes before i met him but uh i i hear stories about uh dale and and his discussions with folks and and that's the person with whom most i'd like to have a conversation who's deceased Two great answers. Nobody had answered Marshawn's name for a living sports figure, and nobody had mentioned Dale Earnhardt for a deceased sports figure they would have loved to spend time with. So I love getting answers to those two questions. I get I get great feedback and great insights. Would, would you say Dale Earnhardt's the, the most well-known auto American auto racer in history? Oh, boy, I'd probably say Mario Andretti was probably the most recognizable, but certainly in, you know, stock car circles, Dale Earnhardt. But I, if I had to, you know, ask every household in America, Dale Earnhardt or Mario Andretti, my guess is Mario Andretti would probably take the top notch. Al Unser is a big name, too. Was a big name Al Unser is a big name as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are uh, neat guys. Um I had heard, Jason, that there was a 2019 movie, which I have not seen, called The Art of Racing in the Rain, where Kevin Costner had a voice role in the movie that was filmed at Pacific Raceways. Tell us how that came to be and tell us a little bit about that movie. So uh, that was a Garth Stein book, and that was written... Uh, it was actually the title was plagiarized with permission from an article that uh, my driving school owner and instructor, Don Kitts Jr. wrote. It was a paper called The Art of Racing in the Rain. And Garth Stein had taken Don's performance racing school, high performance one day clinic, read that article hooked up with one of Don's instructors, and I'm not going to get the, the name right. I'm having a senior moment on the name, but that book was written by Garth Stein and was very closely 
associated with Don's driving instructor's real life up until the time he went to Europe and went racing. So uh, the book was written by a gentleman that's a local guy, Garstein, written based on a paper that was written by Don Kitsch about the art of racing in the rain and then was closely associated with the life of one of Don's driving instructors. Uh, and, and as I'm being told pretty accurately, uh, the movie, the whole movie wasn't filmed here. The scene that was filmed here was the last scene during which Ventimiglia's character gave Enzo his final ride around Pacific Raceways. The book talked about Pacific Raceways. Uh, it it took place here, but I think they filmed it at a track mainly up in Van, out of Vancouver in Canada and then filmed the final scene here. And I get a bunch of flack because they went reverse course. And the local racers notice that as uh, Enzo is getting his last ride in the Ferrari, he's going the opposite direction. And the filmmakers decided to do that because the sun was in a certain point in the sky and it showed better on camera to have the lighting the way it was. But they they reversed direction of the course to film that scene. Love it. Um, other than the art of racing in the rain, uh, what's your favorite sports movie? What's another good movie about auto racing that you enjoyed? About auto racing, I really enjoyed Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, you know, um, I saw it. Le, Le Mans is kind of the the film that that everybody you know points at as as you're a, a racing buff. So Le Mans, Ford versus Ferrari. I love the story of Ken Miles. What what a humble guy. What a great head and and what, uh, you know, the Carol Shelby story is phenomenal as it relates to Ford's participation uh, and outcome at Le Mans. So I think probably Ford versus Ferrari has to top the list. Is that your favorite all-time sports movie, Ford versus Ferrari? No, gosh, fame, favorite all-time sports movie, uh, Miracle. Story of the 1984 hockey victory over the Russians. 1980, but yeah, yeah. 1980, yes. Excuse me. Great one, great. Kurt Russell, I think, played the the coach, right? Herb Brooks, yeah. Herb, Herb Brooks, Brooks was uh, portrayed by Kurt Russell. Great That's movie, great. makes me cry every time I watch it. Great, great movie. Um, Jason, I, 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 as part of the promotion today and the announcements and everybody put it, I had that great picture of you with with. Um, with a with a car in front of you i know you're a real racing enthusiast i'm sure that's part of your future what else is in the future for uh for jason fiorito well we you know have kind of spawned an idea here paul called the pacific innovation center and i've been at it for almost a decade now but uh we're trying to transition the perception of racing uh into the reality of progress and innovation in the automotive industry. We sit in, like I said, a very technology rich uh, region here. We probably have the highest concentration of software engineers anywhere in the country, maybe second to uh, the Silicon Valley. So we have uh, very technology rich, very lab uh, skilled labor rich, very innovation centered uh, society here. And we have a test bed for innovation in the automotive industry. So we are promoting the Pacific Innovation Center, a tech campus located at a racetrack 
And we're working with the Department of Commerce, state research facilities, local elected officials, even the Boeing machinists, uh, IAM 751, looking for non-traditional outlets for skilled labor, getting behind coalescing the renewable energy and uh, autonomous vehicle industry here at Pacific Raceways at the Pacific Innovation Center. And I would love to be a part of redefining the evergreen state as it applies to being a magnet for national and international innovation companies at Pacific Raceways, accelerating innovation and technology in the automotive industry. And, and we've started that. We have buildings going up right now, and we're actively trying to attract uh, innovation businesses to the tech campus as we speak. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. I, you're a very good uh, advocate and spokesman for, for your industry. Oh, I almost forgot this question. Uh, can you recommend a good book or two on uh, motor racing? Oh, geez. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed, Paul, in that I don't read a lot anymore. There, there was a book and I, uh, I'm not going to remember the name, but it is uh, Phil Hill and Count Von Tripps. And I believe probably the 19, somewhere around the 1960 F1 championship race. And I wish I could remember it, but if, if people Google Phil Hill and Count Von Tripps, they will come up with a legendary season of an F1 battle uh, and gives you a really decent insight as to what a driver goes through at that period of time to be successful. I mean, Ferrari were putting kids that were essentially expendable. Enzo Ferrari wanted kids that weren't married and, you know, like they say, give me an army of 18-year-olds and I'll conquer the world, right? And Enzo wanted an army of 18-year-olds that didn't care whether they lived or died. He wanted unattached young men that were willing to put their life on the line. And uh, one of the parts I remember in it was that Phil Hill used to go back behind the trailer and get physically ill before every race, knowing that it may be the last few minutes on this planet. And, and the, the book was just captivating, but it was the championship uh, season between Phil Hill and Count Von Tripps. Sounds like a fascinating read. I, I was thinking of that book on rowing. It's very popular. They're making a movie about it. Uh, Boys in the Boat. It strikes me as like a Boys in the Boat of auto racing, kind of the way you describe that book. So yeah, that's terrific. Well, Jason, I really appreciate your time today. What, what a great conversation. And I look forward to checking out your track in the near future. And uh, thanks for thank you so much for coming on Sports Untold. You bet, Paul. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much.